Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to the Heartwork Community Quran Study of Surah Yusuf at Roots. All of our programming at Roots is live streamed and published free of charge thanks to the goodwill of our monthly sustainers. Your donations allow us to continue our mission of being a community of welcoming, providing meaningful content, and nurturing our hearts, minds, and souls in coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa You can help us reach our Ramadan campaign goal of 250 new sustainers by signing up today. Or, if you are already a sustainer, you can increase your amount and also encourage your family and friends to support the work we do by signing up at rootsdfw.org sustain. As always, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and reward you. Jazakumullah khairan wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Welcome home everybody, it's good to see you. Alhamdulillah, uh, back again. Um, Inshallah, moving forward uh, today, you know, this is uh, the story of Yusuf, subhanAllah, like Allah Ta'ala does some interesting things with the Qur'an, even if you read the same thing over and over again, um, one of the things that changes is that every day you experience something new or you hear about somebody that experiences something new. And uh, that's one of the miracles of the Qur'an is that it remains ever relevant, it remains universal. Um, so a lot of us probably have heard to some degree uh, the story of Yusuf in the Quran. You know, my, Musa last night was asking me, uh, Baba, tell me the story about the, the brother that was thrown in the well by his brothers. And I was like, how do you know about this? He's like, I go to Islamic school. <laughs> and I was like, man, it's a little bit intense of a story to tell a six-year-old. But uh, I said, aren't you happy you only have a sister? And so uh, he, uh, you know, he's aware of it. And this is from the age of six. He's going to be familiar with this name Yusuf and the story of Yusuf. But the reality is that, subhanAllah, as many times as you hear this amazing text, you're going to have a new context that applies to that. And it's going to refresh and refine, and it's going to realign and reconnect. Um, and so I want to encourage everybody that as much as possible, of course, as you're listening to the, to the Qur'an and you know, the reflections that we share, um, to think about how this applies in your most recent and current era in who you are and how you can apply it almost immediately. This is why the scholars talk about reading the Qur'an every year in Ramadan and really just trying to keep that practice going because even though the book itself never changes, you're constantly changing. You are constantly changing. And so the, the book, the Qur'an, is going to constantly be advising you something that didn't really matter to you before or didn't even apply to you before. When you come across a verse about now that topic, all of a sudden it hits very differently. Okay? So, it's just something to think about, the universal wisdom of this book. So, uh, we were at the point where the wife of the Aziz, the minister's wife, had, in order to, to prove and to demonstrate that, well, I mean, she, she did do wrong, but in order to sort of justify her wrong, what did she do? She called for a, yeah, like a party. She called for a gathering of her friends, and she had food and, and fruit and snacks, and she gave everybody a knife to cut their fruit, and she called them together, not because she wanted to socialize, but because she wanted to justify her, yeah, her wrongdoing, right? Everyone kind of understood, uh, the, the rumor was spreading, the gossip was spreading, that she had tried to seduce Yusuf, peace be upon him, 
And inst instead of you know, ignoring it or avoiding it, it was basically you, know, you couldn't avoid it. She said, let me go ahead and, and show these people who are talking about me exactly why it is I tried to seduce him. Let me show them how beautiful of a person he is. And so she calls this gathering together. She gives everybody these refreshments and a knife to cut the fruit. And at that moment, she calls Yusuf in front of them. And the Quran tells us that they started to cut themselves. They accidentally, the knife slipped, right? While they were cutting, they were like, whoa. And they cut into their, some of them cut into their hands. And they were so overwhelmed by just how stunning of a person he was physically that they said, this cannot be a human being. This has to be an angel. Okay, so she basically set up this trap, this plan, to justify why she did what she did. We spoke about this last week, but I want to I re-emphasize this and I want to open it up a little bit, which is that a guilty person never... Well, let me rephrase it. A person who is remorseful or who is innocent. Innocent or they made a mistake and they are remorseful. They never behave like this. They never behave like this. Has anyone in this room ever been guilty before? Okay, anybody? I'm not talking about criminally. I'm not saying like, there's no cop waiting outside, right? No, no, have you ever done wrong? Have you guys ever done wrong before? Okay, thank you, very good, excellent. Have you ever had to like come to terms with that? Maybe somebody like held you to account for it? What's the first thing that your nephew wants to do when a person brings up the thing that you did that was wrong to them? Deny is the first, okay? What if it's undeniable? excuse or justify, rationalize, right? So someone comes to you and they say, hey, you know what? You did this or you didn't do what you said you were going to do or you said this and it hurt me and there's all these... And, and, and it's undeniable. Like there's no, there's no dispute. Okay, you're right. You win. But the nafs, instead of just like, as we say, take the L, instead of taking the L in that moment, the nafs can't do that. And so the person's nafs wants to justify and defend and rationalize. And this is something that shaitan did from day one. This is something that all of the, the people in the Qur'an, that the Qur'an mentions as being uh, uh, um, you know, people of vice and people who are distant from Allah, willingly distant from Allah, this is something they all did. And so now you have the wife of the Aziz who made a mistake and she got away with it. Remember? The, the Aziz tells Yusuf what? Let's forget this ever happened. Okay? He, he chastises her, he yells at her, says what you do was wrong, you need to seek forgiveness. Please Yusuf just... Let's just forget this ever happened. Let's move on. A person who gets away with something like that, a smart person never comes back to that. They try to just move on and forget that it ever happened. But a person who is so steeped in that sin will not be able to turn off that desire like the switch of a light, right? They're going to have to work on themselves. And if you're not committed to working on yourself, then you're going to find yourself in that same situation. So what does she do? Instead of owning up to it, humbling herself, seeking Allah's forgiveness, she tries to justify the sin in front of everybody. Now, this can look different depending on who the person is. Okay, there could be the famous like apology justification. I'm sorry, but... And then explanation, which is a horrible thing to do. I saw many people shake their heads. Horrible decision, right? I'm sorry, but... Okay, even if you feel like you have to explain... That time is not the time to explain. You have to let the, the, the apology has to ripen, right? It has to ripen. You can't pick the banana while it's green and then eat it. You're going to be disappointed, as Musa found out one time. 
All right, you're going to be disappointed. He thought green was like green apple green. I was like, no, it's not. All right, green is like ew. Okay, don't don't eat that. Uh, unless you like that, then mashallah, welcome home. Right, roots for everybody. So you have to let the apology ma- you have to let it mature and ripen in order for it to be palatable, for a person to say anything else. Okay, many of us have been apologized to, and then the person instantly tries to justify, and we're like, like quite frankly, I'm not ready for the justification yet. Give me a moment to, to, to let my heart be cleansed from, and, and forgive, and then we can talk about the human part of this whole thing, which is why this happened. So that's one kind of rationalization. It's sort of like a double-edged sword. You apologize, but you also are... Let me explain to you why. The, 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 that at least has some merit. This, what she does, has no merit at all. She's putting all of her chips in this basket of, if I can convince these people that what I did had a justification, then I'm not going to be seen as wrong or problematic. I'm going to be right. Here's the problem with sin and with bad deeds, with things that take you further away from Allah. It doesn't matter how many people tell you it's okay. It doesn't change it. Like the status of that sin doesn't change. If I look around and see everyone doing something, it doesn't change the fact that that action in its essence is going to take me further from God. That's a reality. So if everyone's lying, if everyone's doing this, if everyone watches it, if every, it doesn't matter, right? Islam is about being principled no matter which way the wind blows. No matter which way the tide is, is coming, you have to be principled in that moment. And interestingly enough, Yusuf in this story displays that principle. He shows it. And what's crazy, subhanAllah, I was reading another tafsir just casually and something came up that I wanted to share with you. If you notice, this whole thing happens, and now all of her friends are basically justifying it, and this is exactly what she wanted. All she wanted was everyone to say, yeah, we get it. You're, you know, maybe what you did was quote-unquote wrong, but right? if it's wrong, I don't want to be right. That's basically what they're saying, right? And then subhanAllah, she gets emboldened by this. And this is also, by the way, a very important point. If you and I are friends... And we are doing something that's wrong. We know that it's not right to do this thing. At the very minimum, the best thing is that we stop each other. Hey, we shouldn't talk like that. You know, like the person, we shouldn't backbite. Let's, if the person's not here, let's not talk about it. Let's move on. Different topic, right? Oh, you know what? Let's, it's time to pray. Let's not delay it. Like, we're going to miss it. There's no point. The best case scenario is that one or both of you come to this realization and you try to encourage each other, right? Best case scenario. But that doesn't always happen. Sometimes people are themselves and also their companions are surrounded by and are making mistakes, okay? At the very minimum, this person or these people should display some level of shyness, dare I say shame, before the fact, before Allah, knowing the fact that they're being watched by God. And there's almost like a, it's interesting, because even in the midst of sin, a person can be humble enough to show their love to Allah even while they're making mistakes. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? A person can be humble enough in the midst of doing something wrong. There can be the duality of that, that iman can still be present in the person. This is what actually our, our, our creed teaches us. Islam teaches us that a sin does not take you outside of Islam. Muslims are people who commit sins. Not, uh, don't take that. Don't tweet that, okay? 
Muslims are human beings, and every human being commits sins. This is part of what it is. So part of being a Muslim is understanding that, but at the same time, you don't want to go all in on this, oh, you know what, well, let me just, now that I'm doing this, let me just show it to everybody, let me just put it out there. There are certain layers of modesty and of self-respect and dignity that a person should still maintain even if they struggle with something, right? There are. SubhanAllah, man, I used to, this is funny, one of our friends growing up, this is, when I say friends, I'm not like middle school, high school, right? Uh, he used to make wudu and then not pray. Because, you know, we're like, oh, let's go pray. He's like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll make wudu last. So we'd all make wudu one at a time. We're at someone's house. And then we finish. And then, like, you know, like, we, wouldn't, we were bad. We wouldn't wait for everybody. We we're like, all right, we're going to get started. Just jump in, you know? As long as you catch, you know, the fourth rock out, you're good, right? So this guy would always be last. And we noticed, we're like, dude, why do you always make wudu last? Like, should we, like, draw straws? Like, do you want to make it first? And eventually, after a time, he's like, man, I make it last because I figure if I do and then you come out and you're done, I'm like, I'm just, you know, it is what it is. I gave, it my, I gave it my best try. And subhanAllah, if you think about that, it's kind of funny and it's a little bit problematic. But isn't it amazing that the person still said, I'm going to make wudu? Instead of just saying like, I don't pray. You know what I mean? There was still that degree. And I'll tell you something that's very important spiritually. Allah gives partial credit. So let's say, for example, like you have a picture. And it's of a situation and an environment and a place that you're not the most proud of. And it could bring up some questionable uh, comments or thoughts about you. But man, you look really good. <laughs> right? And you want to post it. That, that's a moment where you have to think to yourself, I was there where I shouldn't have been. I was in a gathering that I shouldn't have been in. And I know better, but I'm weak and I struggle. The, at least what I can do now is not go through the process of cropping, editing, filtering, and posting. At the very least, right? Out of respect to Allah. Like Allah, Allah hid that from the world. Why am I going to show everybody? Why do I want people to know that? And you know, right now it might sound like, man, Abdurrahman really is 35. For people who have been listening to Heartwork for a while, they're like, 20s Abdurrahman was way better. He didn't make us feel guilty about this stuff. But let me tell you something. You know why? Because how many times have people come to me later in life and said, I wish, I wish that I never sacrificed my reputation for a little bit of clout. I wish I never did. Like, I wish. I wish that I had those pictures, I had those things, and the screenshots happened, and they were forwarded, and now I can't get rid of it. I've changed. Right? Allah forgives, but the internet doesn't. And people don't. And so the reality is, look, we're not perfect. But the, the, the best thing we can do as Muslims is hide your imperfections. And it's not hypocrisy. People are like, oh, but isn't that being a hypocrite? Not showing who you truly are? Man, we cover all types of imperfections physically. No one wants to be like, you know, I have this weird mark on my elbow. You want to see it? Like, no one wants, no, no, wear a long sleeve, please, right? And we would applaud that person, like, please, you know? We are so quick to expose ourselves spiritually while protecting ourselves physically. It needs to be the opposite, really, if we have to choose. Please, protect yourself both ways. But if we have to choose... <laughs> I like that one. Got the chuckle, right? But, but absolutely, beyond just being obsessed with how you appear physically and not worrying spiritually, 
be a little bit obsessed with how you appear spiritually as well. You know, I, I, I've been with people, you know, you walk into a restaurant, this happens a lot, Mufti Kamani, we go to a restaurant and they offer Creekstone or Zabiha meat, right, halal meat, but there's a bar at the restaurant. And they're like, this happened one time in Chicago, there was a, there was a barbecue spot. And we walk in and the lady goes, it's late, you know how we eat Muslim dinners at like 9.50. And she goes, versus like my dad, white dinner is like 6 o'clock. So, supper, they say. So, so we get to this place, and the only seats are at the bar. And, you know, part of me, the, the rebellious Irish guy is like, see me at the bar, I don't care. I don't drink, I'll, talk to, I'll convert the bartender, right? <laughs> Let's do it, you know, like, I, whatever. Put me away, you know. But Mufti Kamal, again, wisdom, right? Wisdom. You got three or four dudes, bearded up, thobed up, koofies on. You want to sit in front of bottles of alcohol? So he goes, he asks, he goes, is there any other seating? She goes, no, we closed all the other tables. He goes, what about the tables outside? Mind you, it's like 50 degrees, right? And she's like, if you want to. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Again, the commitment to what? Protecting yourself. I don't want to be in that environment. The angels aren't present there. And also, like, what if we take a picture of our food and there's just like Jim Bean, Jack Daniels, right? What, and then you post that and people are thinking like, wait, and you test people. Don't test people's ability to forgive you. Don't test their ability to make excuses for you. Muslims should make excuses, but don't test people's ability, man. It's not smart, right? Protect yourself, okay? So all of this is to say she could have gotten away with one. She made a horrible mistake, and she could have just let it die, but she had to revive it because her nest was unstoppable, immutable. She refused to work on herself. May Allah Ta'ala forgive us and allow us to become people that can work on ourselves. So she says, this is the one that you criticized me for. I did try to seduce him, but she says, he firmly denied. He firmly refused. And this is actually something that's interesting. Because when she describes him, she says, فَسْتَعْصَمَ That he was, I mean, it's a good way of saying he was principled. Like he was ethically principled. I know the translation doesn't quite tell you, but this description of him is actually praise. She's not, she's not necessarily frustrated only about his, his uh, refusal. She's actually, get this, impressed. Impressed. She's, she, it made him more beautiful that he was a person of principle in that moment. So, subhanAllah, what lesson did the tafsir bring from this? One of the tafsirs says something amazing. They said, we don't know what was more beautiful, Yusuf's outer or his inner. We know he was the most beautiful human being, potentially, right? Debatable between him and the Prophet, we'll find out in Jannah, inshallah, when we meet them, right? But we're all going to be sitting there like, mm, I see, right? You know? So, and Aisha is going to be on their side, ready to beat up anyone who disagrees with her. But, subhanAllah, the tafsir said that the reason that he became more desirable was not only because of his physical beauty, but because he was someone that was principled and that he was modest. Right? There is something to be said about when a person shows a certain level of commitment. This isn't just talking about like, like sexual stuff, guys. This is talking about in general. When you display a level of commitment and principle 
in your life, no matter what it is, it is something that becomes admirable to everybody around you, even if they don't agree with you. Even if they don't agree with you. You could be somebody that says, you know what, like, I don't do this. I don't drink. I don't eat that. I don't... And even if somebody is not, doesn't share that trait with you, they will respect it. Absolutely they will respect it. And you're starting to see this. So one of the tricks of shaitan is to make you think that by being principled, people will think that you're being hard-headed and you're being a person that cannot be spoken to. You can't compromise, etc., etc. No, no, no. That's all in the way you present it. Right? You can present your commitment in a way that's so beautiful that people are left with nothing but amazement at the person that you are. Let your principle be inspiring. Let your principle be something that teaches people that this is actually what it means to be a Muslim. Right? I do this too often now. When you get to a... Th okay, I'm 35, guys. When you get to 35, you just stop caring. So I... Not about like life, but about what people think about you in a good way. So now, whenever anybody comes to me and is like, what would you like to drink? Do you want to see the drink menu? We have, you know, half off on martinis tonight, this and that. Instead of just being like, no thanks, <laughs> you know, like, oh really, half off? Oh, that's a great deal. And then just like awkwardly, you know, like growing up Muslim, sometimes you're like always trying to negotiate being accepted as normal without ruffling too many feathers. But now, and part of this, the, the new era that we live in where everyone really can just say and do whatever they want, is that when I'm talking to people, I was actually uh, uh, at, the, at my rehab facility, and it was May 6th, right? What's, 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 six? what's the 6th of May in Spanish, guys? The day after Cinco de Mayo, exactly, right? So this guy was hung over, unfortunately, and he was working out, and he was sluggish. Bichata, man, I felt bad for him. He was struggling, and one of the trainers was like, hey, man, late last night, Cinco de Mayo? He's like, yeah, man. And he looked at me, he's like, you look like you're a good... I was like, I don't drink, I'm Muslim. He was like, I should be Muslim. Like, I could see it. Like, he was just like, he was regretting every last drop, right? I don't know if like 10 years ago, I would have said that that way. I said it jokingly. I was like, I, I was like my rehab is going to be great. I don't drink. So like, just another day for me, you know? And he was like, word, you know? But I wonder, subhanAllah, 20, at 25, if Abdurrahman would have been that confident to say that. And when I read this story and I see how Yusuf was that way, again, beautiful, Outwardly, but also inwardly. Did not sacrifice who he was for what anyone thought. Right? In that way. Make sure that you represent yourself beautifully. As beautifully as you want to be on the outside. So, she says that he refused. And if he does not order what I want him to do, then he will be imprisoned and fully disgraced. So she says, basically, he's going to be punished. But subhanAllah, and, he, and, and she describes it as being humiliated. But we know that nobody can be humiliated if they go to God. Nobody can be humiliated. The definition of humiliation, part of it, under humiliation, spiritually, is when a person is far from Allah. And what does he do? When she, when, she, when she says that he will be disgraced, the first thing he does is run back to Allah. Oh Allah, the prison that she's threatening me with is more beloved to me than what they're calling me to. So then he says, وَإِلَّا تَصْرِفْ عَنِّي كَيْدَهُنَّ And if you do not turn their plan away from me, then he says what? أَصْبُ إِلَيْهِنَّ That I might incline towards what they're saying. وَأَكُنْ مِنَ الْجَاهِلِينَ And I would end up being a person who was deeply ignorant. Now, 
ignorance, if we define ignorance, we would think that ignorance is solely like an intellectual thing. Okay? Ignorance is about what you know. In Islam, ignorance is actually less about what you know and it's more about what you do. Okay? Ignorance, Abu Jahl, you guys ever heard that guy's name? Abu Jahl? It's so fun. My kids, you know kids always want a bad guy. They always want to, they always want to root against somebody. It's not, they don't just want a protagonist. They want the antagonist. So when I'm telling my kids stories about the seerah, I'm like, who's that guy that we hate? They're like, Abu Jahl. Sometimes Nuni messes up because she gets all the names back. She's like, Abu Bakr. I'm like, relax. I'm like, relax. He was a scholar and a gentleman. right? She's like, yeah, yeah, not him, not him, right? So Abu Jahl, right? Abu Jahl literally translates to father of ignorance, but he wasn't like, he wasn't an uneducated person. He was intelligent. When, he was intelligent by, by the metric of information, but not of transformation, not action, right? Muslims don't measure intelligence solely by what you know. We measure intelligence and ignorance by how what you know has changed you. Because that's the proof, isn't it? Like, everybody could know something, but how am I supposed to know that you know what you know? A little riddle. The only way that I know that you actually know something is that you display it, that you show it. And this is where, subhanAllah, it's like an indictment, isn't it? How many of us know pretty much what we should do, but we still struggle with it? And how many of us know things that we shouldn't do, we still struggle not doing them, right? We know. We know that staying up late to watch that is going to probably put our fajr in jeopardy. We know that. We know that buying things indiscriminately, shopping for ourselves whenever we want. But Lush had a sale, I know. Right? But I need this, right? Nike's having a sale, I know. Buying gym clothes does not make us athletic. I will write a thesis paper on this, right? Really, in reality, subhanAllah, these things, and we keep purchasing them, and then when the time comes to donate to like a child who needs like a home or like build a well or like build a school or give people warmth in the winter, we're like, ah, I don't know, I don't know if I can stretch it like that, right? Because we've already spent it, right? And this is interesting. I one time, I spoke to one of the founders of, of one of the massages in Chicago, Abdul Hamid Dogar, may Allah have mercy on him. Amazing story, man. I, you know, one, one of the things that I regret is that while he was alive, we didn't take the time to like interview him and make a documentary about him because his story is phenomenal. You realize that most people who immigrated to, the, to, to America, who were Muslims who came to this country, they weren't scholars or they weren't people of scholarship. Most of them came here for secular education. Abdul Hamid Saab, Dogar Saab, he was an engineer. He worked for GE. And then he came here and he discovered a problem. He was like, there's nowhere for us to pray Jummah. Right? So he's like, we got to figure it out. So he literally opened the phone book. Do you guys know what that is? The phone book was a book where they used to print people's numbers publicly. The white pages, right? So the yellow pages were like commercial ads for like retailers. And the white pages was a directory that they would just put your number out there, bro. That's amazing. It's hilarious. It's like not, it's like not making your account private. Okay, so just trying to translate it for everybody. So... He would go through the white pages and he looked up all the names that were like remotely Muslim. And he would call them. And he'd be like, where do you live? Can you imagine? Are you Muslim? Yes. Where do you live? Because he's trying to build a masjid. So he wants to make sure that like regionally it makes sense. 
So he got the names, like families of people that lived within a few miles of the area that he was in. They went, they rented a space, all of this. Like they did it, they did it. And now this masjid, it's called Islamic Foundation Masjid in Chicago. And it's one of the, it's one of the oldest and one of the largest really facilities, one of the most active K through 12 school. I went there, I got expelled from there, I later taught there, right? So crazy stories, well, inshallah one day, right? But let me tell you something crazy. One time I was visiting Chicago and this is after I had moved to Dallas. I was visiting during Ramadan, and I had two nights there. And this masjid would have iftar, not dinner for the Arabs, iftar. Iftar is also a noun, Daisies know this, of a pre-dinner meal that occurs between Maghrib time and the Maghrib prayer, usually consisting of spicy fruit salad and fried foods, okay, and pink milk. So they used to serve this iftar, they used to serve this mini meal, this sort of like pre-salah sprint of calories. They used to serve it in the cafeteria. Very small, very humble. Abdul Hamisab used to come and serve the food himself. I went there one time and I asked him, I said, Dogar Saab, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, how did you do this? How did you do, like we're sitting in this building. You know, how? At the time, Roots was in that small space in Irving. And I was just, Floored that this was possible. Without the internet, without modern fundraising, without Apple Pay donations, how did you do this? And he, 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 he like thought for a second, and he said, I want to tell you, I don't know exactly, it's all from God's you know, favor, but I want to tell you something that I think made the difference. I said, what? He said, my generation, are you ready for this? It was heavy. He said, my generation, when we got our paychecks, they used to pay you with a check, by the way. So I don't know if you guys know, direct deposit generation, right? So they used to pay you with a check. He goes, when we got our paychecks, we would first donate to Islamic Foundation with, what we, with, with a lot of it, like a large percentage. And then with whatever we had left, we would figure out how to buy what we wanted. And he said, your generation, and he smiled. He goes, you buy whatever you want, and then you see if you have anything left to donate. And he goes, that's how we were able to build this, because we were committed to this, not committed to buying more every month. May Allah Ta'ala give us that foresight. You see, you see it's, it's not crazy. It's just different, subhanAllah. Okay? So, in those moments, in those moments, Yusuf Salam teaches us that you have to be able to turn yourself away from that which is calling to you. All of you, everyone in this room, me, you, everybody, we all have something that's calling to us. Every day before sunrise, it's the pillow and the blanket, right? Every day when we're working, it's productivity over prayer, instead of prayer which leads to more productivity, right? What if you don't pray for productivity and Allah drains your time from barakah and you're not productive anymore, right? Every day, the things that call us, they call us away from Allah. But if you run back to Allah, you will find yourself most comfortable, most committed, most disciplined, most grateful. Every trait that we want to have as people, that's all within the proximity of being near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? So he says, I would rather be in jail because the environment doesn't matter as long as I'm close to Allah. The environment doesn't matter. The thing that I keep thinking about when I think of that juxtaposition of jail but being spiritually happy is like when you 
find such beauty in the simple things. How many of us, like, we have a comfort meal that is very simple stuff? Dal chow, anybody? Kichri? Right? Egyptians, kushari? Same thing, desi, Egyptian, right? Vibe? There are many people that find comfort in sitting on the floor. Many people have accepted Islam because of the simplicity and the beauty of the simplicity of how we practice sometimes. Like, you, instead of having these elaborate meals, if you met the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba and you wanted to eat with them, it would be on the floor with a blanket on top of the sand, everyone eating from the same dish, maybe some bread and a little bit of olive oil and salt. But they were laughing and they were enjoying their company. And after each bite, Abu Bakr would say, Alhamdulillah. Sometimes it's the most simple things, you know what I mean? We focus a lot on the esoteric elements, like the aesthetic, but don't ever lose simplicity, right? Because that's what keeps you full. And so Yusuf this juxtaposition is so amazing. He's like, it doesn't matter where I am, right? The prison, it is what it is, man. It's just like, a, 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 it's, a, it's a, a room with four walls. And he's like, that's where I'm going to be. But if I'm with Allah, then that's all that matters. And if you don't turn their cunning away from me, he's recognizing his humanity. He asks Allah to help him. Remember we said early on, قَالَ مَعَاذَ اللَّهِ Right? Seeking the protection of Allah. Don't ever think you don't need to call upon Allah. Always turn back to him. Don't be shy. I might yield to them and fall into their ignorance. After a certain point, anybody, anybody is susceptible on their own. Without Allah, anybody is susceptible to making mistakes. Yes, me. Yes, everybody. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they look like, how they dress. If a person constantly puts themselves in an environment to be tested, they will fail one time. At least. And then after they fail that one time, who knows what happens. So the smart person, the intelligent one, doesn't put themselves in the environment that tests them. Now there are some environments which Islam told us, no one can go there. No one should be there, right? Putting those aside, part of the beauty of Islam is that you also have to know yourself. I'll give you an example, okay? If somebody is really struggling with something, they should probably not be in a gathering where people are talking about how easy it is to do that thing. Like somebody, they ha, you have to know that. You have to know that. If somebody is struggling to find a house to buy, then maybe it's not a good idea to constantly go around people that are talking about how they love their new house. You know what I mean? And you have to know that about yourself. There are some that Islam says, everyone, stay away. But I offer this suggestion, which is, Know yourself well enough to know your weak points and protect yourself. Don't, you don't have to necessarily make people feel awkward. Hey, I can't be around you because you just got married and I'm really trying to get married. <laughs> That's a little bit off, right? And you can fight that, fight that. But if you know that you're struggling and you're just having an off day and it's not working out for you, I'm begging you not to test yourself. It's okay to take a night off. It's okay to have a hiatus moment, right? So Yusuf salam, he knows himself. And he's saying, just like any human being would, if you're constantly exposed to this type of attention, it is only a matter of time before you slip and stumble. So, oh Allah, please protect me from this. Okay? Be smart. Be smart. Right? Islam encourages you to think about yourself as well as submit. Think 
after you submit. Okay? So Allah Ta'ala responded to him and he turned their plan away. Surely he is the all-hearing and the all-knowing. He is the all-hearing and the all-knowing. This is a very beautiful uh, way to finish. Whenever you see in the, in the Quran any ayat that finish with a description of Allah, I want you to think, we're going to do this group activity, right? What are the two descriptors of Allah that he gives us at the end of this verse, guys? Very good. Oh, green. When did that happen? The update? Okay. All hearing, all knowing, right? Okay. Now, sometimes when you read the Quran, you think that this description is happening, like you're rolling the dice. You're like, all hearing, all knowing. All right, great. Write it down. That's not how this works. The descriptions that Allah uses in those verses, they tie back to the passage, the whole experience. Yusuf is clearly in a mode of desperation. What do you do when you're desperate? No one here has been desperate before? You pray. You call out. You call. First you call AAA. <laughs> then they tell you that there's six hours so they can get you. Then you call to God. You're like, oh Allah, send Jibreel, send Burak. You know, like, if he can go to Jerusalem, he can take me to, he can take me to Plano. You know, like, help me. You call out to Allah. Okay? And what shaitan wants you to think more than anything in that moment is that he's not listening. He's not listening. He doesn't even know who you are. You think he knows who you are? All these people in the world, you're going to call out to him. You think he's listening to you? You're not even at the Kaaba. Like all of your friends on Instagram right now. You're not even there. You're not even in Turkey like the other half of your friends on Instagram right now. And then the one friend, you're not even getting... No, <laughs> married, Umrah, or Turkey. Muslims. 2023, right? <laughs> right? Everyone's like, too real. Yes. Welcome to Heartwork. Okay, so... What does the Qur'an tell us in order to stamp out that shaitanic, impulsive thought? Shaitan tells you, he's not listening to you, you're not that important. He doesn't even know who you are. Allah says, I am listening and I know everybody. I am listening to you and I know who you are. Allah Ta'ala says, I'm closer to you than even the vein, the jugular vein that's there. The, the, the vein that is required. You know what's interesting about that, that artery is that it's required for life, right? I mean, I'm not trying to get too graphic, but Eid al-Adha, where do they quickly end the life of the animal? That artery, right? The carotid artery, that's where they take it, right? So Allah is not only telling you anatomically he's closer to you than your artery, he's saying what? I'm closer to you than the very thing that gives you life. Right? And we can think for a moment he's not listening? It's, it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing. So Allah Ta'ala reminds us, even in that moment, surrounded, calling out, right, for prison, praying for prison, man. What an amazing title for a book on this surah. Praying for prison, subhanAllah. Allah Ta'ala says, I got you. Okay? And so it occurred to those in charge, despite seeing all the proofs of his innocence, right? So it's interesting. Sometimes miracles happen the other way. But listen to this miracle. I want you guys to buckle in for this, okay? What is Yusuf I'm asking for? What's he asking for? Jail. He wants to go to prison. He was innocent. They're not going to put him in prison if he's innocent, right? So the Quran says, even though they saw all the proofs that he did nothing wrong, it occurred to them. You know like in Star Wars when they're like, and they move their hand and, you know, mind control? Yeah. Allah does mind control. Even if 
These people were like, all right, let's take him to court. Did he do it? No, you're free to go. He's like, no, that's not what I want. Like, they're going to come get me. He wants protection from them. Allah puts him in a place of confinement, not to punish him, but to protect him. The test you're in is actually protecting you from something. How many people are in like a tough financial situation, check to check every month? Like, I got nothing left. I got to figure this out. Like, every month, you know? Like, man, you really like Dal Chow. You're like, I love it. <laughs> Do you want anything else? No, I just love Dal Chow. Lentils and rice. High in protein. But really, it's because you're broke. And that's okay because you know what? No, don't laugh. Because all of us have been broke, will be broke, and will go through periods of financial brokenness. And that's okay. And that's okay. Destigmatized struggling financially, man. It's a reality in life. Not everybody has Teslas, I promise you. Right? Despite what Dallas highways want you to believe. Wallahi. Not everyone can afford these things. I promise you. And you might be in that state right now where you're like, I don't need... Can I get Taco Bell on the way home? Like, I don't know. Wallahi, I'm telling you that just as quickly as it goes, it comes in, and just as quickly as it goes. That's, that's the dunya, right? But listen to this. What if, what if, Allah did not give you the, the, the luxury and extravagance that you see around you because it would destroy you. One of the tafsirs actually said something. <laughs> they said that, uh, why did Yusuf get so much beauty? It was a question. A lot of these mufassirun, these scholars of tafsir, they ask very hypothetical questions because it's fun to explore them. So why did Yusuf get so much beauty? Like really half of beauty? That's a lot of beauty. Why didn't Allah give beauty to every person like this? And Allah Ta'ala said, or the, the Mufassir said that because Allah knows that you can't control yourself like he you can't control yourself like he can. Right? So you can pray for something as much as you want, but in reality, when you fold your hands and you say Ameen, what you're submitting to is, Oh Allah, if this thing is not good for me, don't bring it near me. And so in this moment, right, amongst difficulty, you're allowed to cry, you're allowed to call out, you're allowed to plead, you're allowed to feel. But at the end of all of it, you tie it with a bow of what? Of trust. Oh Allah, I know that wherever you've put me is where I'm supposed to be. As Lupe Hafidhullah said, God doesn't put you in places you don't belong. Right? Where I am right now, in all the struggle, in all the difficulty, it feels like I'm being confined, but maybe I'm actually being protected. And even if, look at this man, he's innocent. But somehow, some way, they were like, guilty. Put this man in prison. Because his prayer was answered. Right? SubhanAllah. And then two other servants. So now we're in the prison. Two other servants who were actually guilty went to jail with Yusuf. One of them, so backstory, these two servants were actually servants of the minister. And the, the story goes that the reason why they were in prison was because there was a a rumor or a conspiracy that they were a part of that they were trying to assassinate the minister. Okay? This is pulled from different sources. Allah knows best. Either way, they were, they were, uh, uh, they had committed a criminal act like in earnest. They were not there accidentally. Yusuf was there accidentally. They were not. Okay? So they went to jail and now they start talking to Yusuf, 
And they don't know who he is. He doesn't like arrive in jail and he's like, yeah, so when I was a kid, I had a dream. And ever since then, everything's been weird. And I, my dad's a prophet. Like, that's not how, there's no distinction. Okay? There's no distinction. But there is one distinction that they can tell. SubhanAllah. One of them said, I dreamt I was pressing wine. The other said, I dreamt I was carrying some bread on my head. And birds came and they sat and they started eating from the bread. Then both of, us said, both of them said, tell us. Tell us. Nabitna. Inform us. Teach us. Bita'wilihi. The interpretation of these dreams. Because inna naraka min al We see you are a very righteous person. Couple things here. Number one is that his reputation precedes him. Alright? In prison, people know what other people are in prison for. And when he got there, they're like, what are you in prison for? And he's like, Nothing. They're like, what do you mean? He's like, well, and they knew that this was a conspiracy against him. It was a plot against him, but it was all based on the guilt of the wife of the minister. So number one is that they knew that he withstood this seduction attempt. They knew it. Not only once, but twice. Okay? Number two, and this is what the tafsir says as well, is that when he got to prison, he was there for 12 years. So this wasn't like the first night. Right? He wasn't there and he's like, yeah, my bail is this much. I'm good. My dad Yaqub's coming. He's got 5,000 gold coins. I'm going to be out of here before you know it. He was in there for, Ibn Abbas says, 9 to 12 years. So these guys were having conversations and they were noticing, number one, was that he was righteous, he was ethical, he was pious, and he performed his prayers. Whatever that may have looked like. Right? Maybe it wasn't exactly the same as us. We know that every prayer, no matter what prophet, it involved standing, and it involved putting your head on the floor. Some didn't involve bowing, but either way, they noticed that he was involved in ritual prayer of Allah. And they realized that this person's special. Now, here's the crazy part that I love, subhanAllah. What does being righteous have to do with giving answers? Like, they're like, we saw that you pray a lot. Tell us. What does this mean? Wait a second. He's, he, he didn't tell them that I'm a dream interpreter. He didn't tell them that this was his special skill. No. All they saw from him was that he was what? A good person. A good Muslim. Traditionally, whether it was, no matter where, the ancient understanding of wisdom was that it was always tied to God consciousness. Always. Meaning what? You see somebody that displays the actions of righteousness and you trust them. You trust that they know what they're talking about because they know they're walking the walk. So surely they can talk the talk. If I see somebody that's able to demonstrate time and time again that they are a person who is patient and grateful and disciplined and remarkably pious with their relationship with Allah, when I come and ask them for advice, I don't need to see necessarily all of their, their paperwork. If I come to them and say, hey, can you give me some advice? Their advice is worth its weight more than its weight in gold. Why? Because they've lived what they're about to tell me. Right? And this stands in direct opposition sometimes to how we approach advice now, which is we look for all the certifications and all the portfolio, the resume, but we don't look for the lived experience. I'm a parent, if you don't know. There's one person here who hates that fact. But I'm a parent. Right? I tell stories about my kids all the time. 
Do you know who I go to for parenting advice? You know who I go to? I go to parents that when I meet them, their kids are older and their kids tell me that I love my mom and dad. When I see like teens and college students, teens who hate everything, and they say, I love my mom and dad, I, I'm, wallah al-adim, I'm not joking. I track their parents down like Liam Neeson. And I say, tell me how you did this. Tell me how you did this. Because, and I don't want to open this up for that, how many of us didn't have that experience growing up? Or knew someone who didn't have that experience growing up? They couldn't make that same statement. If you could, alhamdulillah. But many people couldn't. And I don't want to be a statistic. I don't want to be another imam, especially, whose kids don't love him. And so I find these people. Now these guys and, and girls, these husbands and wives, fathers and, 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 and mothers, they don't have books. They don't have like curricula they've developed. They're just parents. But I go to them because they've lived it. They walk the walk. Their kids are testimony to it. And I sit down, and I promise you, Mehreen and I, when, when, when she was expecting, we went and we interviewed probably like six couples that we knew, older couples. And we just sat with them for hours, asking them how, how, how. Why am I telling you this? You might not be parents, you might not be... Because when you look for people to guide you, don't look for people who talk a lot. Look for people who demonstrate. Not perform, that's different. There are people out there who are just performing for the attraction. Look for people who walk in silence. Look for people that do things when the lights aren't on them. Make those people your role models. It's so easy to be perfect when everyone's watching. Wallahi it is. It's so easy to say the right thing, to dress the right way, everything, when people are watching. But attach yourself to people that inspire you when, they, when you know and they know that no one's watching them. And that's where you see that behavior, that model, right? That ihsan that they're talking about. These guys, they're in the middle of prison, man. They're sleeping and they wake up in the middle of the night and they see Yusuf Ayas and I'm like this. <laughs> they go to sleep the next night, they wake up in the middle of the night, they see Yusuf like this, standing in prayer. They wake up the next night, they see his head on the ground. Subhanahu rabbil ala. They hear him praising Allah. No one's in prison watching this, man. There's no live stream. There's no tweets. There's nothing. He's by himself with Allah. So after seeing this enough, they're like, all right, you're not fake. You're real. You are a real one. Tell me, what does this stuff mean? Right? The, what we have to be careful with is also not asking for advice, not only from the wrong people. That's one type of thing. Don't ask from the wrong people. Number two is, for God's sake, don't ask for advice from everybody. There's two things that will mess somebody up. Going to the wrong people and going to every pe pe all people. Right? It's almost better if you don't have that person yet that you can hit a bullseye, that they're going to give you the advice you're looking for. Not the one you're looking for, but they, they're going to give you advice and it's going to be exactly what you need to hear. If you don't have that bullseye or that group of friends... One of the worst things you could do is just vent to everybody, right? Keep that inside. Keep that into yourself. These are personal things, okay? Then Yusuf tells them. He says, well, it's interesting that you asked me. 
to uh, interpret your dreams for you. I have a funny story about dreams. And he says, this is where he reveals to them that I am a prophet, that I am, I am a prophet of God. But another thing that I'm going to leave you with here, he says, not only, this is his way of saying, not only can I tell you that, he goes, I have been given the ability, he doesn't say that yet, he says, I can even tell you what kind of meal you will be served before you get it. So he's, now he's showing you like, okay, if you're asking me, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I can even tell you what food you're going to get before you get it. And he says, this knowledge comes to me from what my Lord has taught me. I love this part because they were praising him heavy in this verse. And they were saying, because of you, surely you got all the answers. And he goes, no, all the answers came from Allah. He doesn't, he doesn't take any credit for this. And you find that every prophet of Allah, when their people praise them, come to them, seek from them, they never take credit personally. They say, this is from Allah. Even Maryam, when Zakariya comes and he asks her, where did you get this food? What does she say? He doesn't, she doesn't, Maryam doesn't respond to Zakaria, who's a prophet, by, well, I'm really pious. There's going to be a chapter about me in the Quran, right? I'm one of God's chosen people. She doesn't say that. She says, This is from the favors of my Lord. Absolute humility. Constantly tied back to Allah Ta'ala. So he ties them back to Allah. And then he says, I have shunned, I have turned away the faith of a people who disbelieve in Allah and deny me hereafter. And this is ultimately, he's giving them the effect of God consciousness is that things become clear. Many of us go through life very confused about which fork in the road to take, which path, right? Yusuf's story and the story of all prophets is that when you commit to Allah, the fog starts to dissipate and clarity becomes a skill and you start to know the right thing. Many of us have had experiences where we talk to people that are very devoted to Allah, they're, they're, you know, maybe it's your grandma, maybe it's your parents themselves, and you wonder why they're always right. You wonder. My mom used to be so right, still is, used to be so correct about everything, and even to the point where she'd be like, take a rain jacket, and I'm like, no, it's sunny outside. And wallahi, it would start raining an hour later, and I'm like, you made dua for this. There's no way that this happened without your intervention, you know? She was always right. Just always right. And it does not shock me that when I would wake up or come home, really, I wouldn't wake up early that often. When I would come home super late, I would see her standing in the corner of the living room with the Mus'haf, the Qur'an on the music stand. Super irony, because, yeah. So, Qur'an on the music stand, right? And she'd be standing there making Qiyam. And... It just goes to show that the more you seek out Allah, who one of his names is the clarifier, his name is the clear, the one who clarifies, that's Allah's name. The more you seek him out, the more clear things become. Instead of bumping around into walls in the dunya, go seek the one who clears things up and watch what happens, right? Yusuf teaches this. So he says, as a result of this clarity, and he comes from even a family where his brothers made mistakes. 
right? So it's not even the, it's not even about oh, he just comes from a good family. No, man, his brothers tried to kill him. Isn't that crazy? It was the fact that he sought out Allah. We ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us this. We'll stop here inshaAllah. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people of Qur'an. Those that learn from it, those that take from it. We ask God Almighty to grant us closeness to Him. We ask Allah to grant us clarity. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to make things clear for us so that we can make the best decisions that allow us to have a relationship with Him. We ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us principle and strength and commitment to Him that gives us confidence. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make our principle beautiful. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that are more magnetic and more attractive than we are detractive. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us those who invite and not those who indict. We ask Allah Ta'ala to bless us with good character, the character of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and that we are emanate from us not only a beautiful scent of musk, but the scent of good character. Amin Ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa antina astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. We'll see you inshallah, everybody, uh, next Monday. Uh, Bi-idhnillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.